I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. For him, it was just so new because I've always been like the happy girl. That's, that's what he'd known all his life, so he didn't understand it either. So we were just both clueless. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Anyway, the word is, carries around a lot of cash. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Do you need some money for the funeral? And need to talk about more. I'm glad he's single, because I'm going to climb that like a tree. I'm Anna Sale. Mark and Julia Lukacs got married on a hot day in Washington, D.C. in 2006. They'd met in college at Georgetown. I mean, we were really young. We were just barely turned 24. We met when we were 18. So at that point, we were together for... Six years. Six years, yeah. The day after their wedding, Mark and Julia packed up their things. They decided to start their new life together across the country. (laughs) We didn't even know where we were sending the trucks to. We just were like, let's go to San Francisco. Mark was going to teach history at a private school. Julia found work soon after they moved. But it was three years later when she landed what felt like her dream job, doing marketing for a hip manufacturing startup. I remember applying out of the blue and writing this really cool cover letter, and they called me, and I was in total shock that they, you know, that they even got to my resume. Um, and, yeah, I did not last there long. Because soon after starting, Julia had paralyzing anxiety, a kind she'd never felt before. Uh, I was only a week or two into this new job, and I would look at uh, an email I would receive, and I'm very efficient. I usually, you know, write back, respond. I'm doing a million different things. and, And for some reason, this time around, I would just look at the email and just stare at the email and reread my response 10 times and call Mark and read him my response before hitting send. I would just blank stare at the wall, and people, I remember, looking at me like, what's going on? And, and Mark, when did you notice that this wasn't just stress of starting a new job? I, I mean, within the first week, it was clear that the, the stuff she was complaining about was sort of bigger than just, oh, this is a busy job, you know, where I was like, maybe this isn't actually what we thought it was going to be. I, I recognize, looking back, like I was pretty impatient and could get pretty easily frustrated. Like, what's going on? Why are you so freaked out? Stop calling me. I'm at work. I got to do my job, too. Julia went to a doctor and was prescribed an antidepressant, but she didn't get better. What made it real was when I was given the pills and um, I was on Skype with my mom and I told her, I was like, Mom, I think I'm going to just take all these pills and I'm, I think I'm going to commit suicide. Hmm. Yeah, and that was just within like a month. It, it was just, it just spiraled so quickly. 
About one in five American adults has a diagnosable mental illness in a given year. One in 23 lives with a serious condition, one that can cause major impairments and disruptions to daily life. That includes Julia. How did you get to the hospital that first time? (laughs) Yelling and screaming and being carried by my husband and by my dad and basically trying to open the door and fly out of the car. Because you felt, like, why were you trying not to go to the hospital? It was just because that that's not the person I was, you know? Like, like a coming to terms and realizing that you yourself are crazy or you yourself are experiencing this. It's coming from my background where I was, you know, just like a straight-A student and just having the most friends and being the first to get married. And that's who I was, you know? And I would not accept this as my reality. Julia was eventually diagnosed with bipolar disorder, sometimes called manic depression. People with it experience extreme emotional highs and extreme lows. And in Julia's case, even the highs are really dark. That's one of the big distinctions they've made, where, like, usually mania is super fun and you're up late and partying, but your mania is just, like, really scary and psychotic. Mm -hmm. The only thing she could talk about was the devil and that she basically needed to protect the world because the devil was inside her. And so she didn't specifically say, like, I am going to kill myself, but it was basically, like, her being alive was keeping the devil alive. And then what do they, what do they tell you at the ER? I, I still was under this impression that a doctor was going to walk in the doors and say, okay, here's exactly what's going on, and here's this pill. And when, as soon as she takes it, It's like taking a Tylenol for a headache. She'll be totally fine within an hour, no problem. And that was like such a naive expectation, but it's what we thought. And that is like not at all what happened. Instead, the doctor came in and said, we have no idea what's going on. She's clearly dangerous, so we can't keep her here in the ER. We're going to take her to the psychiatric facility where she's going to stay for a minimum of 72 hours because that's the law mandates. And then after that, they'll reevaluate if she needs to stay for longer. At what point did, did you hear the words psychosis or psychotic break? I think I remember it most clearly when I was put <laughs> next to the nurse station because I was completely psychotic and that's what I remember the nurse saying it's like this girl is completely psychotic and she needs to stay like right here next to us basically that's that's kind of like the room where the the craziest of crazies like stays because they just didn't trust me anywhere else in the ward so yeah I think it was very much early on and it wasn't said to you it was said about you it was about me. Yeah, it was. I was right there in the room looking over, like, completely lost and confused. And they were like, that psychotic girl needs to stay right there. She did stay there for 23 days. Mark was at home, frantically making phone calls to doctors, to the insurance company, to his job, trying to manage as best he could until visiting hours from 7 to 8.30 each night. And so it was literally, like, spent all day on the phone and then... 
gear yourself up to go visit her, not knowing what the hell's going to happen when I get there. You know, like any range of Julia being super affectionate or Julia like screaming at me to not come in her door or Julia just ignoring me. I mean, like it was completely unpredictable. I'd have to prepare things to talk about because Julia didn't necessarily – all she'd want to talk about is like the angels and demons that were in the world. And I'm like, oh, well, the weather was nice today. Let's talk about who I talked to my brother and just trying to like keep her in this reality somehow. Julia, I heard you giggle a little bit when Mark said (laughs) the visiting hours and not knowing what to expect. Yeah. It's just I just look back at all the stuff I I said during those visiting hours and like what I believed and I still remember it all so vividly but I'm not in that state of mind anymore so I could see how for him it was like so scary but for me it was reality like I believed the whole <laughs> all the nurses were actors and they all like set up this huge scheme against me and this was going to be like how I would like get to heaven is to figure this all out. It was all a game. And I would tell Mark, you know, like, ha, I get it now. This nurse is playing this person. And he was just like, you know, the center of the plot. Because that's what I believed. I believed that he was out to get me. And he was one of the bad guys. Coming up, their long process of finding a treatment that worked and how that affected other big decisions. All the medical advice we were receiving was that this was probably only a one-time thing. And that was why we did make the decision to go forward with wanting to have a child. Their son Jonas is turning three next month. Of course, when there's mental illness, it's not just romantic relationships that can get strained. We've heard about it in your siblings' stories, about the particular pain of feeling like you're losing touch with the person you've lived your whole life alongside. Like for Rachel in St. Louis, whose younger sister struggled with mental illness and an extreme eating disorder beginning in their teens. And it was something that was very difficult, obviously for her, and then, but selfishly for me, because I wanted to be close to her and I couldn't. And she couldn't talk to me. She couldn't talk to anyone. She couldn't be honest. She couldn't be vulnerable. And, um, and I wasn't very understanding. We're still collecting your sibling stories. Email a note or record and send a voice memo to us from your smartphone. The email address is deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. On the next episode, W. Kamau Bell, the comedian and former host of the FX series Totally Biased. We talk about how his family's financial situation changed after his TV show was canceled and about how being a large black man has shaped how he moves through the world. You know, there's just all these ways in which I sort of make sure that the world knows I'm not intending to pose a threat other than the threat that I am posing because of the body that I'm in. Kamau will also be at our first ever live show. It's in Brooklyn on Friday, May 8th. Kamau's wife, Melissa Hudson-Bell, will also be there, along with other guests and our house band for the night, Luscious Jackson. Tickets are on sale now. You can go to deathsexmoney.org for more information.
This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash DeathSexMoney. We are so excited to see you there. I'm Shankar Vedantam, here to tell you about a great mystery. That mystery is you. As the host of a podcast called Hidden Brain, I explore big questions about what it means to be human. Questions like, where do our emotions come from? Why do so many of us feel overwhelmed by modern life? How can we better understand the people around us? Discover your hidden brain. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. After Julia Lukacs got out of the hospital, she was enrolled in an outpatient rehab program where she had a support group, art therapy, yoga. Her husband, Mark, took a three-month leave from work to help with the transition, but it ended up being nine months before she was feeling better. Julia remembers it as the hardest time of her life. I was just so suicidal, and I was like, why would God do this to me? Like, why would he abandon me? 
and why would he get me to go through all of this? Basically, I believed I was in hell. So why would why would I have to go through hell in this lifetime? I've always been a good person. Like he doesn't love me. And how did you feel about Mark during that nine month period? Um, he was a lot of times the pill Nazi. <laughs> That's the way I called him for a little bit. Basically, he was like, take your pills, take your pills, take your pills, you know. And and there were times where I took myself off the pills because, I mean, um, one specific pill, I gained 70 pounds in six weeks. I mean, it's horrible, like what some of these pills do to you. And I just – and some of them are like so mind-numbing and – and I couldn't live that way. I'm, I still was like, I'm a human being, you know? And so I, we were not connected at all because he hadn't experienced it. And he always sided with the doctors and the medications, and, and I needed him to side with me. Looking back, obviously, it's so hard, you know, to have... What he experienced as well, it's just such a hard role to play, to play the caregiver to your own wife. Yeah, Mark, what do you, when when she was released into your care from the hospital, what did they tell you your responsibility was? Uh, basically to like not let her die, you know. They said, you got to keep her safe and she has to take her medication because if she's not taking her medication, you can't keep her at home. She's going to have to go back in the hospital. Yeah, it was just it was it was really tough, you know. And it's tough to hear Julia say this stuff now because I really, um, I really, you know, when you when you're when she says stuff like "I'm the devil," then it's I can't take her literally anymore. You know, I just couldn't. It's not to say that I didn't trust her, but I guess I kind of didn't trust her. And so when she's saying. Like, you don't know how these pills make me feel. It was really easy for me to say, you're right, I don't, but it's worth it because you're not thinking you're the devil anymore and you're not actively trying to throw yourself out of a moving car. Um, but that's because I didn't have to take those pills. And the problem is, is since she, she, this was her first time, she had no baseline understanding of how medication impacted her. And so... They didn't know what meds were going to work and what meds weren't going to work. And so it was this like long, drawn-out science experiment of, okay, let's try these pills for three weeks. Oh, they didn't work. Okay, let's just switch them out. So, Mark, this is a, a difficult question, but during that period, did you fantasize about leaving the marriage? You know, um, the, the the reality is, is no, I did not because it felt – it just felt like it was too intense to leave. But after, when things got normal, then you just start to bicker about who did the laundry and this little stuff, this little crap, basically. That's where I was like, what's going on here? Like, that's where I started to get more frustrated with the marriage. Where I was like, don't you realize, like, what I did to help you and um, – what I was, how much I love you, and how much I, how much I sacrificed to to try to take care of you, and I I got really frustrated for a while, you know, where I, I just didn't feel like it was reciprocated. Not that I was fantasizing leaving the marriage, but I think that's where the the impact, the negative impact on our marriage, really came to life. 
and we had to just navigate the normal things that couples confront with this very unbalanced power dynamic. It was really sloppy and we fought about it a lot. And Julia, do you, do you, it sounds like you were frustrated with Mark because you felt like you'd had this profound experience that he was totally outside of. He just couldn't understand. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, he was not in a psych ward and I will never be the same. I just, you know, this, this changed me forever, you know, and, and so I see the world differently. It's, it's like, yeah, like, I'm sure the world is beautiful and everything happens for a reason. Well, you know, we're on the, you're on the other side of that spectrum. It's really tough to come to terms with that, that it's you that is going to be the one suffering and questioning your life and questioning your existence. And I don't think I, – I thankfully met a lot of friends that – experienced similar journeys that I did that I was able to grasp onto during these last five years that have really helped save me. Can you can you tell me about the decision? How did you decide to start a family with Mark? So that was like, <laughs> I've always wanted to be a mom. Actually, when before my first episode, I remember going off birth control, like literally that summer. Um, and then I got sick and everything changed. Uh, and I remember my mom visiting me in the hospital and me telling her, Mom, I'm never going to be a mom. I'm never going to get to be a mom. Hmm. And she's like, what are you talking about? And... um I said, no, like, this is my life. This is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be in psych wards and I'm sick and I'm not going to be a mom. And um, I think after, um, it was after two years um, and talking obviously very closely with my psychiatrist, my therapist, my gynecologist, that they thought it was going to be okay for me to get off the uh, medications and try to get pregnant safely. Um, And so we just, you know, we were blessed with this beautiful baby boy. And and then you you did get sick again. (laughs) Two more times, yeah. Yeah, I was... (laughs) same triggers. I was starting a new job and I was breastfeeding, trying to do it all. And I stopped sleeping, which is my number one trigger. And and even after 24 hours, I called my therapist, my psychiatrist. They put me on the meds and it's already too late. And I just go into my psychosis and my big thoughts of this time I wanted. I thought heaven was a place on earth and we were all, you know, just angels. Um so, yeah, that was when Jonas was only five months, five months old. And how long were you hospitalized at that point? This was the second one was my longest hospitalization. I was there 33 days. Mark, it, it, after the second hospitalization, did you... 
Did you feel like you had more tools? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, w- I was I had a better sense of my bearings. You know, I, I didn't feel so disoriented. Um, but now I had a kid at home. You know, that so it was like I wanted the two of them to be together so badly because I think it's it was so important for both of them. But um, I also felt like I had to be really delicate about protecting him and protecting her and. For a long time, if Jonas was up in the middle of the night, Julia wasn't able to get up. She needed her sleep first and foremost. And so I did all the middle of the night stuff for, you know, for much of his second year and a half first or so. I feel like there was just a lot of middle of the night stuff where it was just me and him. Did anyone advise you about whether or not Jonas was, you know, at, at physical risk? Uh, Yeah, I mean, they were definitely evaluating that, you know, like the doctors were really keeping an eye on that. And um, there was never a concern about that at all. I mean, because of Julia's specific case, I I can honestly say I never thought Julia would hurt Jonas. I've never had that fear. Have you decided to have no more children? Uh, That's a pretty weighted (laughs) question. Well, I think it's more of our psychiatrist. My psychiatrist has told me, like, probably that Jonas will be my last child, yes, because she wants to keep me on meds forever. And that would mean, you know, not having another child because you don't want to be on those meds um, during pregnancy, especially of the first trimester. So this is their family. It's not the one they envisioned. Julia always pictured having lots of kids. But neither is this life, keeping track of Julia's sleep, her medicine, her grasp on reality. And stability can still be tenuous. Julia works. She's a senior online marketing manager for a national housewares chain. But last fall, she had one night where she couldn't fall asleep. And that turned into 20 consecutive nights. Mark tried to take care of her at home at first, but then realized she needed to go back to the hospital again. I took Jonas to daycare. I had I said, Julia, you need to tell him you're going on a business trip. And I was like crying so hard watching them say goodbye. And I took him to school and then came home and then packed up the bag, went to the hospital. So this is all this is all very fresh. Yeah, this third one is like October 2014, yeah. so we're not that far away from it. Yeah, and I'm and I'm catching you both in the midst of figuring figuring out, you know, how you're managing this, you know, how 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 stable you are, Julia, how to parent when when there's this question of your of your health. I just, I just kind of wonder, Julia, when you, when you step back from, from having gone through these uh, very intense experiences of being hospitalized, and then the reentry back into regular life and your marriage, like what, what have you learned about, about your marriage through the course of this? I. Th- we we learned a lot about through sickness and in health, <laughs> like what you sign on to. It's like you say that when you're up there and you're looking beautiful and you have all your friends 
watching, but you don't realize what that means until you're like put through hell, basically. You know, with me getting sick three times and then the recovery time, you know, takes a year after each of these episodes, usually. Marriage is not always glamorous, but um, but there are glimpses of light um, that are unexpected. And it's like the little moments that you need to kind of live for. And I think that's what we're doing. It's it's like um, we have like at night we have our dance parties with Jonas and we dance around and we turn up the music and we just like laugh and just like have so much fun. And it's like carefree, you know, and so it's moments like those that no one can take away. And that for me, the illness goes away for that just two minute song. And uh, I think that's that's what we need to live for. Mark and Julia Lukacs. And this is one of the songs they dance to, Bright Whites by Kishibashi. Mark is working on a memoir about their marriage. Last fall, he had an essay called My Lovely Wife in the Psych Ward, published by the magazine Pacific Standard. He wrote it before Julia's most recent hospitalization. In fact, Mark was getting texts about photo captions while he was in the ER. There's a link to that essay on our website at deathsexmoney.org. We also have links there if you or someone you love is struggling with suicidal thoughts or mental illness. Again, the website, deathsexmoney.org. Death, Sex, and Money is a production of WNYC. The team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Botine, James Ramsey, Caitlin Pierce, Zachary Mack, and Joe Plourd. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter, at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money. Also, if you're not getting the Death, Sex, and Money newsletter, sign up. Every week in your inbox, you'll get recommendations for other podcasts, hear stories from other listeners, and you get first notice when there's a surprise for our listeners. Sign up now at deathsexmoney.org slash newsletter. Something's coming soon. And here's one last thing Mark told me about a key piece of advice from a friend when Julia first got sick. Look, when you're on the airplane, they tell you if the mask popped out, you have to put on your mask first. So if you can't take care of yourself first, you can't help anybody. And that's a piece of advice that I've really tried to stick with. Because if you can't, you're going to be too tired. You're going to be just not up for the fight. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.